What is up, Bitcoiners? It's your boy CK, and I just had an amazing conversation with an amazing person and developer in the Bitcoin space. This is Gloria Zhao. She is a young and optimistic and excited developer diving into the P2P portion of the Bitcoin network and working on the mempool. She is the very first uh, person working in the Brink Fellowship Program. And man, I had such a great conversation with her. Uh, I really hope I get to meet her in person here uh, in the Bay Area uh, before she eventually makes it out to the UK. Uh, But you guys are going to really love this podcast. It is really awesome to hear about how much Gloria cares about the details, right? This is what makes Bitcoin developers unique from other... um, builders, developers, you know, people working in other places. It's just uh, attention to detail is so, so important to Gloria. I think that this is a trait that I've seen in many Bitcoin developers, uh, and it sets me feeling very, very good about the state and future of the Bitcoin network. Um, Before we get into this, though, I want to tell you guys about the Bitcoin 2021 conference. I am so excited for June 3rd, 4th, and 5th to come and go travel to Miami There's going to be every single Bitcoiner there, even the ones talking smack, they're going to be there. People are so, so excited. Every single company in the space is going to be there. And whether you just want to hang outside, drink a beer and watch Tony Hawk chat with the plebs, or if you want to go and watch Michael Saylor speak, or if you are a whale or you have B2B interest and you need to get some deals done. Bitcoin 2021 is the place for you. It is going to be absolute blast. And a lot, a lot of traction and uh, happening is going to happen, whether it's at the community level or at the business level in the Bitcoin space. Make sure to go to b.tc forward slash conference, learn more about the conference, learn about our amazing speakers. The list is honestly, absolutely unbelievable. This is the biggest Bitcoin conference in history. It is BTC only. We're not talking about anything else, just Bitcoin. And man, the list of people who are there who are going to talk about Bitcoin it's just, it's jaw-dropping. You need to go to the website. I'm not going to tease it anymore. You can use promo code Satoshi. Once you checked out that speaker list and you're ready to make a move on those tickets to get 10% off, again, that's promo code Satoshi. That's enough of the conference. Let's get into this amazing interview with Gloria. Bitcoiners, I am sitting across the screen from Gloria Zhao. Uh, Gloria, we're actually not too far away from each other for the time being. We're both in the Bay Area. Um, but you are the first participant in uh, Brink's uh, Bitcoin Fellowship, and you've been a part of you know contributing and a part of developing uh, on Bitcoin uh, on the core level, on the protocol level uh, for some time now. Uh, and I'm really excited to have you on the podcast to kind of talk about your story, uh, talk about you know Brink, learning about Bitcoin, and what you're doing uh, on Bitcoin Core right now. Uh, so I guess let's just start off with like, you know, what's your Bitcoin story? How did you discover Bitcoin? Where were you? Uh, and, you know, what got you excited about Bitcoin? Yeah, uh, I went to Berkeley, UC Berkeley, Cal, whatever. And I majored in computer science. So I actually found Bitcoin through blockchain at Berkeley um, in 2017, when I think blockchain was kind of becoming more I think that was the year where it was like, not Bitcoin, but blockchain. And then so I actually started out maybe as a shitcoiner, (laughs) shitcoiner, and then found my way into Bitcoin 
more like a year ago when I met Amini and John through uh, Chain Code. Um, so I guess like talk about the, your experience. I've been to blockchain at Berkeley um, events before, and yeah, so it's way more. And when I was going, it was like 2018. It's absolutely way more along the lines of like Cosmos and uh, you know things on Ethereum and DApps and enterprise blockchain. Like you know, how, I guess what was that like? What's the dynamic like? In maybe even talk about like Bitcoin in education, right? Like, um, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah, so Blockchain at Berkeley is a, a little more blockchain focused. Um, I wouldn't say that uh, they're focused on like really shitty things because it is kind of an academic group. Um, I was president for a while, and so I, I want to take some ownership over the good things that they're doing. Um, so we kind of all start as you know CS students. We're looking to be like software engineers or some kind of tech uh, career after we graduate, and we're very close to Silicon Valley, so a lot of opportunities are there to, um, you know, go work for like the hottest tech companies and try to build something that's very innovative. So a lot of the value system uh, through which like we try to decide what we're going to work on or what we care about is very similar to like what Silicon Valley is going to hire into, Um, which is why um, after we learn about Bitcoin and we're like, okay, yeah, like we know what a cryptographic hash function is. Like we learn a lot of math. Um, we learn about distributed systems, all very like, I guess, like hard, like meaningful, like computer science concepts. And, you know, we can all code. So, you know, we're, we're, we're not stupid. Um, then I think we very quickly move on from Bitcoin because, I mean, there's not a lot of like there is no Bitcoin core company that is like handing out internships and then like giving you giant compensation packages and equity, like after you graduate, that's typically more of like the Google Facebook or a more like unicorny startup. Um, and I think Berkeley and, you know, Silicon Valley in general, there's a lot of like active VC uh energy or you know like there's a lot of generosity towards new ideas and people who are building things that nobody's ever seen before which is really great um because you know it gives you a lot of opportunities there's a lot of hackathons to like get discovered or like um get your ideas like out there to people who can fund it um so there's not there's just so many opportunities that would view someone like me as a little more narrow-minded because I focused on Bitcoin. Um, and for me, that's a result of me having a very clear idea of what I care about. And um, Bitcoin solves the problems that I care about, um, whereas other people might be interested in something more different. Um, so they look elsewhere. So I want to be fair towards blockchainers <laughs> when I talk about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I, I think that that's fair. And I think that Bitcoiners, at least to this point, most of them were primed, right, to care about sound money, for whatever reason, to care about Bitcoin's purpose, uh, and to care about, um, you know, the way that Bitcoin is being developed. Um, kind of curious, like, how were you primed? Like, what, what made you, like, ready to understand the problem that Bitcoin solved? Yeah, I, I think, so I grew up in Silicon Valley and like the hottest shit is like machine learning and data science. And I think the 
many tech companies have been collecting data for a really, really long time. Um, and now they're trying to figure out like what they can do with it, which is a lot of things. Um, and I was always unhappy with that kind of being the thing to care about. Um, and so Bitcoin is actually in some part a way for me to opt out of like Silicon Valley games and like culture. Um, so that's one portion of it. But the other part is like the more cypherpunk ideologies where it's like, I went to Berkeley, there's a huge like AI lab, um, machine learning classes are very rigorous and a lot of people are interested in them. And I took a couple of them. Um, but at some point, when I was doing a software engineering internship and they were like, it was at a healthcare company and they were really interested in applying data science and machine learning to healthcare data. Um, and this was when I was uh, like a, like a sophomore or a junior in college. And I was so excited to finally be applying things and like, uh, it's like solving real problems. Like healthcare is, I think I don't think anyone would be like, oh, it's like unethical to try to like solve um, like medical problems. Um, and it, so it's very, very exciting and have a huge impact. And the healthcare company I worked for had like many like decades worth of data on um, patients. But of course, healthcare data is one of the only pieces of data that's like by default, like very, very closely guarded legally. Um, if you've heard of HIPAA, like healthcare companies are really not allowed to like show that data to anyone or sell it or like you know, even if it's encrypted or whatever, like the law is very, very strict on that. And so we were trying to get access to like even sample data or like manufactured data so that we could try to like build a model on it and, you know, deliver like some kind of MVP or like POC to like sell to the people. Um and they were like, yeah, maybe in like 30 years, you'll manage to get like somewhere with respect to like actually working on real data. And that was really disappointing for me. But then I realized like, okay, that's like, that's like a good thing. <laughs> it's, it's a very, very good thing that me, some like software engineering intern is not just like willy nilly getting access to like, oh yeah, here's like a spreadsheet of like everyone's like diagnoses and like, you know, what they have. And I appreciated that, but that attitude is not held by the vast majority of tech companies out there in Silicon Valley who are looking to do data science. Um, and of course, like now that we have more uh, attention to ethics around handling data, um, like they're more careful, but it's definitely not the case that every company is like, oh, maybe we should respect our users' privacy. It's in fact the exact opposite. And I'm really not cool with that. Um, so kind of just a long-winded way of saying like that was a very clear way of me not just highlighting like how I care about my personal privacy but also like me as a software engineer not winding up um I've been reading Edward Snowden's um permanent record where he talks about like okay I was like building this like um like computing infrastructure for you know X company and then it's kind of like there is some confidentiality agreement where you're not supposed to know everything. So you don't really know anything until you realize, Oh shit, I'm building a mass surveillance system. Um, and then for me, it's like, Oh shit. Like I don't want to build my own cage. Um, so me picking up some like engineering skills, I want to put them to good use. Um, in addition to kind of like 
safeguarding my own privacy. I don't want to infringe upon that of others. So a lot of it is, you know, you grew up in Silicon Valley. I've spent a lot of time in the Bay Area, Silicon Valley. I'm I'm from SoCal originally, but I, I've I've moved up here since 2015. Um, and I, like, there's a little bit of a toxicity to the uh, the startup environment here. Like, don't care about data. Don't care about the VCs are fundraising. VCs throwing money on stuff that they don't care about. Um, there's a shallowness to some degree. Like, I don't know. Like, I kind of think that this is a pinnacle of fiatness is here in the Bay Area. This is one of the, the peaks of the fiat system. Uh, so it's hard to kind of escape that. And I told, and I think most Silicon Valley people just don't get Bitcoin. Like, because Bitcoin is, is almost like the opposite of uh, yeah. tech here. Bitcoin is, is, is like, you know, the, the yin to the yang almost. It's like, it's tech, but the complete other foot. Yeah, definitely. I feel like my entire life, I always felt like a piece of paper, you know, like my, like the Maslow's hierarchy of needs is supposed to be like physiological needs, like sleep and eat well, and then like fulfill other things, like get good grades. But my entire life has been like, you're a resume and you're not going to sleep this week because you need to attend these events and meet these people and like get these certifications and like my entire high school experience was like squeezing as many things as I could possibly could onto my college application um, where it just like didn't fucking make sense because I'd be like, Oh shit. Like I haven't slept in a couple days and I don't have time to. And like your whole world doesn't fucking make any sense because like your priorities are totally like flopped. Nobody cares like who you are. They only care about what you are as a piece of paper. And then like they want to attach themselves to you because you're a nice piece of paper and like, Oh, you get this logo. I get this logo. Um, and it, yeah, it's very fiat. It's a piece of paper. <laughs> you're not a substance. <laughs> like you're not a piece of person. You're a piece of paper. <laughs> so I want to talk about your experience getting into Bitcoin tech and, and mm-hmm. package accept and package relay. Um, mm-hmm. But before, like, I feel like we're kind of on a good clip right now talking a little bit more high level Bitcoin. Like, what does sound money mean to you? Right? Like you got into Bitcoin because of the cognizant around privacy. Um, But, Mm -hmm. you know, Bitcoin is kind of like, in my opinion, it's like the forcing function to make privacy important to make security important. But like, you know, what did the other sides of Bitcoin mean to you? Well, I'm a nerd. Um, I like computer science-y things and every every I mean I work in Bitcoin Core. So every day when I'm in the code base, I experience two feelings. One is like, oh my goodness, this is so beautiful. And then the second one is like, what the fuck is this garbage? Like there are there are parts of the code base where it's like, okay, this could definitely use some improvement. Which is why I I work on Bitcoin Core because I love it, but it's also not perfect. Um and like when you talk about sound money, it's like I accidentally like learned about Bitcoin and like and like bought Bitcoin um, really early on in life before I ever ha- I don't even have a stock portfolio. <laughs> and people are like, oh, that's really risky. But now I'm like, OK, I really need to make sure there's no bugs in here because like I'm accidentally most of my net worth is in this and I need to make sure that it's safe. Um, Bitcoin will do that to you, though. 
Like, you don't even have to allocate that much. And I was like, oh, shit, that's like 90% of my value. Yeah. I mean, I, I like joke that like, okay, really, I need to work on this. Because if I don't, like, I don't even know what I'm invested in. Like, I gotta not trust, but verify that I'm putting my money or my money is is safe. Um, but yeah, like I, uh, I have the privilege of not having been an adult in 2008 during like various financial crises. I personally have, I was born in the US, so I've been able to use the US dollar, which is better than a lot of other currencies. Um, you know, I, I haven't had my money like go to zero on me is basically what I'm trying to say. I've never been financially censored for the job that I do or the things that I said politically. So I haven't experienced a lot of the biggest pain points that Bitcoin is able to solve. Um, but I do care about those things because I, I think like growing up with all of this like privilege and, and like recognizing that all over the world, um, people are constantly hurt by their currency not working for them um is like a problem that i think boils down to central authorities controlling money supply <laughs> um there's like i mean i don't want to be one of those people who's like bitcoin fixes everything but like the problem of a lot of these things like kind of stem from us not being able to trust whoever is controlling the money supply or you know speak um, up gloria <laughs> you don't have to be ashamed <laughs> i'm scared of twitter people <laughs> um so yeah like uh I, I there there's this like venn diagram where it's like what you love what you're good at and like what people pay for and Bitcoin fits really well in there for me. Um, and so I'm fortunate to be working on some, yeah, exactly. Um, like uh, from a career perspective, I'm really glad that I work on Bitcoin instead of like some tech company where like the CEO can say something that I disagree with, or um, we could secretly do, be doing something extremely unethical that I don't even know about, um, et cetera. And so I really like working on Bitcoin because that's really nice. It aligns with all of my values. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I mean, I feel like there are so, uh, one of my favorite tweets and it never gets very many, uh, very much engagement, but I just always repeat, put it out there anyways. But I think Bitcoin has mass appeal. The masses just don't know it yet. And like, there's so many reasons to be into Bitcoin uh, and it, you know, it, everything else is kind of like a positive side effect, you know, to that individual. <laughs> so, and I feel like your story very much fits into that too. Um, let's talk about code. Um, you know, yeah. I, I, I want to hear about like going from a computer scientist, you know, learning at Berkeley, obviously, you know, you worked really hard in high school to, you know, put yourself in that position. You probably worked really hard in, in college and, you know, or a top quality software engineer, you know, what is it like going from like, you know, being someone who's looking at the corporate side of tech to discovering Bitcoin and, and, and start learning Bitcoin? 
Yeah, it's really weird to only have one job and not have like three side hustles over the weekend because I'm doing exactly what I want to be doing. <laughs> um, That's badass. Yeah, it, it is weird. <laughs> you're you're living the Venn diagram for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I used to have to do something different for each Venn diagram, but now it's all in one. And it's like amazing. Um, I mean, I think the biggest thing is like, I'm starting to realize like how easy it is to fuck up like um, Bitcoin <laughs> because I mean, Bitcoin, we assume a very adversarial environment. Um, like we like code is, I guess it's kind of like code is law. There's no like, Oh, you know, like the easiest thing is like, Oh, if you like lose your private keys, you're fucked. Like nobody gets to mint new coins for you. And that's a feature, not a bug um to bitcoiners like us but also like when people are like oh yeah bitcoin's the hardest money i'm like dude there's bugs in bitcoin core <laughs> and like it, it's good to have the time to be able to like solve that because i've definitely worked on projects in other tech companies where there'll be subtle bugs and there'll be bugs all over the place really and they're like no no, no we need to like release these new features we need to like move fast and break things and bitcoin core is like not about that um like everything is very slow and methodical because there are so, so many like subtle bugs that um, are discovered every day and like moving fast and breaking things can break Bitcoin, which would really, really suck. Honestly, kind of stressful <laughs> as, a, as a protocol developer. Do you feel personal um, stress like on your shoulders? <laughs> Do you feel the weight of Bitcoin on your shoulders? <laughs> But like, I mean, I do think about the fact that like, um, I put like an assert statement in one of my PRs and then someone was like, yeah, this should definitely be true. But if this fails, like this will crash all the nodes on the network. And I was like, I don't want to do that. And I like changed it to like a, like a debug assert. <laughs> so like it won't crash, but it'll like report like an error. Um, but they're like apart from that it's like you uh like there's so many subtle bugs is what i'm trying to say is like i work in the validation code where it's like okay if you um keep pulling coins from the cash and then they're invalid transactions and you don't uncash them that can result in like cash thrashing which can hurt your performance a lot um when you're validating um transactions so like and it's like what? Like we want to uncash coins. Like that's not something that I would have, uh, that it's not something that I would have done in like other projects. Like you wouldn't even care about the cash in the first place. You would just be like, okay, use this algorithm. And whoosh. Like there's like a whole backend that just does it for us. And then we don't care about the performance at all. Like we can just do it. Like just write the code that makes it work. Um, but that's something that I really enjoy is like thinking about these very complex problems. Um, and like, you know, uh, doing things right, basically. Um, like all those like engineering best practices that they teach in school, but then you don't actually get to use because you're just like making buttons at some like tech company. Like that's not the case here. And it is stressful to be like, oh my God, if I break something, then there could be like more attack vectors. Um, but it is fun to think about it. Um, but yeah, like I, I do get, do, do you have a metaphor for Bitcoin? I know people like have described Bitcoin as like building a cathedral 
Um, like, do you have a personal metaphor for Bitcoin? Mm, not off the top of my head, no. Um, probably do at some point. I'll, I'll let that it. simmer with you. So let's talk about let's talk about package accept and, and package relay. Um, these mm-hmm. are you know some very specific things that you're working on. And personally, I am completely I'm completely ignorant to these <laughs> nuances in the in the code base. So uh, I need some educating, and maybe the audience does as well. Yeah, so I work on package mempool acceptance. So that's in the mempool validation code, and we're trying to validate packages. And a package is a group of transactions where they all have some kind of dependency relationship with one another. So if you heard of like parent and child, where the child is spending the outputs of the parent. Um, So without the parent, the child is invalid because those UTXOs don't exist. Um, And yeah, so that's what a package is. So I work on package mempool accept. And this is a precursor to some other very, very exciting projects such as Package Relay. Um, And I think, I don't want to speak on behalf of um, others, but it can possibly, it can possibly enable things like Dandelion, which require you to have a separate set of transactions that are not in your mempool, but you can still validate with. Um, But my main focus is on enabling Package Relay. Okay, so can you like can you boil package accept and package relay down to like the most rudimentary level? Like why? Uh, like I guess what is the well, issue that is being addressed, and then how do these updates and 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 solutions solve them? Yeah. So as has been illustrated many times in the past few weeks, the mempool has a finite capacity, and the mempool is a tool for miners to to have an idea of what are the most profitable transactions for them to include into the next block. So they go by fee rate. And when your mempool gets full, uh, the mempool will purge transactions below a certain fee rate um, because they probably won't be in the next block. Um, And this is a huge problem because, I mean, first of all, you, no matter what your like time preference is, there are some transactions where it needs to get into um, the next like nth block, for example. So like if you're closing a lightning channel um, or you're trying to redeem funds from an adversary in your lightning channel, like closing at the wrong moment, um, like you have remedial transactions to retrieve those funds, but typically it's done on a time lock. So the close, the person who closes the channel has to wait, like three days or one day or two weeks or whatever before they can actually take their funds on the channel. And you have that time to be like, hey, wait a minute, you're trying to cheat me out of my money and I'm going to broadcast my uh, justice transaction to get those funds back. But it's on a time lock. They like, even if it's two weeks, there are transactions in the mempool now that will go two weeks without being mined because they're like one sat per byte and the current market is like 75 or like, um, higher than that. And it's purging everything below like three sats per byte or seven sats per byte. I think was, was a peak. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's very, very dangerous if you're not able to fee bump your transaction. So when you're fee bumping your transaction for inclusion in a block, because you, you're able to express what the urgency of your transaction is through the fee rate, because miners will just pick the ones with the highest fee. And that's really, really nice in Bitcoin. But the problem is you're 
sometimes limited in the options that you have to bump your transaction. So the two options are usually replaced by fee or a child pays for parent. Replaced by fee being you use the exact same inputs in your transaction, but you create a new one that has fewer, uh, that has a smaller amount in the output so that the miners get more of the fee. Um, so that's very basic, but that requires you to sign a new transaction. And that's not always an option for you, especially if this is a transaction with like a counterparty. Like let's say you're mixing coins together with other people, you're doing a multi-sig or you're just the um, receiver of a transaction. Um, you don't actually, you're not actually able to sign a new one. Um, or let's say you've already created outputs that spend, or you've already created transactions that spend these outputs. So you don't wanna have to create like a whole new set of transactions. In all those circumstances, you don't use replace by fee, you have to use child pays for parent, which is you spend, you create a new child that spends the outputs of this parent and it has a larger fee. And then those two transactions get considered together and miners are like, oh, I want that child because it has a really high fee. So I have to mine the parent and the child together. And that's, a, uh, I think, probably the best way to bump a, bump a fee bump a transaction without having to create a new one. Um, but the problem with that is if your transaction has already been purged from the mempool, let's say it's a one sat per vbyte and the mempool minimum is like five sats per vbyte, um, then if you, even if you try to fee bump it, it'll look at the parent first and be like, oh, like this is too cheap. I'm just gonna throw it out. And then it won't even consider the child. Um, and this is like, you're like, okay, Gloria, that sounds fucking like easy as shit. Like, why don't you just like switch some lines of code around and then you can just like consider them together before you add it to the mempool. Um, but it's not that simple. And we also have to consider like P2P. So it's like, when I send you these two transactions, I have to explicitly say, hey, by the way, I want you to consider these two together. I'm aware of the fact that the parent is really low fee, but the child pays for it. So like, accept them together, right? Um, but like, once you get into it, like P2P is so fucking scary because so like networking to think about. When you say P2P, you're talking about the node to node P2P network, like the, yes. the messaging. Yes, yes. Um, so right now you send transactions by themselves, even if they are related to one another, you'll be like, hey, I've heard of like transaction A, B and C. And then I'll be like, oh, I haven't seen those before. Can you please send them to me? And then you send me the transactions. I'm like, okay, now I'm gonna validate them one by one. Um, and like, because when you validate a transaction, you only consider coins that are available either on the current chain tip or from outputs that are made available by transactions in your mempool. Um, you can't just be like, okay, yeah, like do them together. So I have a PR open to add that logic in, but still it is kind of scary to expose that on the P2P network because if the package mempool except algorithm is very computationally expensive or requires a lot of resources and like on P2P, it could be any peer, like it's just some random IP address on the internet that you are connected to and they can send you like a bajillion transactions that take you like, a really long time to validate, um, we're really concerned about denial of service attacks through that, um, through through peers. Um, so if I fuck up this algorithm and it can allow a peer to send us like a hundred transactions that each have like a bajillion signatures in them 
And then like, you know, we spend like a really long time, like trying to validate these packages, uh, that'd be a huge bug because you could stall nodes on the network just by sending these like giant packages. Um, yep. So yeah, that, that, that's the sense. problem. Yes. <laughs> it's not, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I guess how, uh, how comfortable do you feel with like the progress in, you know, addressing the uh, kind of like the, the packages of replaced by fee transactions uh, and then, you know, the, uh, the risks to, to the network, right? Because, you know, stalling out nodes, like that's probably the classic way to crash the network, right? That's, you know, DDoSing the entire network by, you know, producing this data that takes infinitely long to validate um, it. Like that's kind of like the worst case scenario, right? Dossing is like something that I think about on a daily basis now because um, <laughs> it's there are many subtle things that you can do to DOS, you know, like um, if you have like an unconditional logging statement and uh, like in your P2P code and like every time someone sends you a message, you like log all this stuff and then you don't even count like what your peer is causing you to do, then you could be like filling up your logs, which is like so subtle. I mean, it's not like as bad as, you know, they cause a consensus failure or like they cause you to run infinitely, but like they're so, we're so conservative about the resources that we can allocate to our peers on the P2P network. Um, and it's, it's very scary. Um, but basically this is why I don't say I'm working on package relay because I'm so terrified of P2P. Um, and I've tried to lay out like a more, steady roadmap to get there. So what I'm doing right now is package accept through test mempool accept, which is an RPC that allows you to just test, uh, like dry run transaction validation without actually submitting to mempool. Um, and this is done through like an RPC client and an R RPC interface is not something that you expose to like any old person uh, on the network. That's that's P2P. So what you could do is just like you can submit through test mempool accept, but not everyone. And this means that we can be less concerned about DOS, um, but we can still test. Uh, like, for example, how long can it possibly take a, uh, a package accept take? So like, I've been trying to create these like really expensive transactions, expensive as in like computationally expensive, um, and then like running them through my test mempool accept implementation to see like, okay, is it taking like zero point one second, which is a very long time. Um, or like if I put in, if I like jam in like as many signature validations as I possibly can, if I spend really old coins so that they have to fetch from disk, um, if I use like non-segwit where more imp like there's a quadratic sig hash problem where they have to like rehash everything and I have like 600 something inputs, like how long can I get my node to work on a package? Um, is something that we can test through test mempool except without exposing to the P2P network. So that would be step one. And then step two is like, okay, now we can actually submit packages through RPC. And then we think about like, okay, um, how many transactions, uh, like now that we're going to expose it to P2P, how many transactions can a peer send us? Like who should send which transactions or like who should be requesting? Like how many times should they go back and forth to talk about like packages? Um, how should we construct them? Like all those things. 
I'm deferring until after I've figured out the mempool validation code um, so that we don't, um, so that I don't have to like galaxy brain from the, from the get go. <laughs> yeah. So, but really what you're doing is you're addressing like the most critical attack vector first and you're locking that down and then you're kind of working on maybe the more complex uh, coordination issues and stuff like that later. Is that correct? Yeah. 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 Um, is there anyone else working with you on this? Uh, well, I mean, I talk to John every day <laughs> and there's many wonderful people John who Newberry. are reading my code. Johnny Berry. Yeah. Johnny Berry, um, who's my boss. <laughs> um, and I mean, I think there's very few core devs or there's very few people who work on Bitcoin core full time. Um, and I mean, I haven't met any of them in person, but you know, you talk to each other on GitHub. So um, like everyone's been very, very helpful. <laughs> Everyone works together, review each other's PRs. Yeah. Do you feel like it's like a, almost like a virtual family? I mean, yes, but I feel like it's, like an outsider sometimes because everyone's met each other at conferences. Like I started right when quarantine hit or COVID hit. So we've been in lockdown this whole time. Like I've met some people through video chat, but like we haven't had any conferences that I've been able to like meet people. Oh. <laughs> Bitcoin 2021, get over to Florida. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Well, yeah, I want just, like I want to go to London. <laughs> like my yeah. fellowship was supposed to be in London. <laughs> so I guess talk, we haven't talked about that at all. Um, do you want to talk about like Brink? What that's been like? The uh, I guess the agony of not being able to go to London and like you know kind of being stuck in the Bay for now. Yeah. Well, I really like my job because. I basically get to do whatever I want every day <laughs> or like I have a lot of friends who have like meetings back to back to back from like 8am to 5pm every day. And then I'm like, Oh, look at my calendar. I just like talk to John like in the morning. And then I talk to my other Bitcoin friends like Amini and merch. <laughs> and then I get to like sit on my computer and code all day, which is what I like to do. <laughs> Um, and John is very like, I have to like recognize that John kind of like handles a lot of the administrative work and like, he's the reason why I can do these things, <laughs> um, and not have to worry about like, oh, like trying to get funding or like, um, like having to deal with like bring stuff. So I'm very grateful that he he's taking time out of his engineering time to enable me to do my stuff <laughs> um but yeah it, it does really suck that there's like no one that i can see in person um and that like i would prefer okay like I, I like sitting at my computer but i would prefer to like see people a little more often than i am right now <laughs> See people um, while you sit on your computer. Sit on your computer yeah. surrounded by people. Yeah, it'd be nice to all sit on our, sit on our computers together you know, in the same place. Yep. <laughs> 
I mean, yeah, I feel, and I mean, I, I, I just hope that things get resolved, uh, quicker yeah. rather, you know, than, than, uh, uh prolonged. Yeah. yeah hopefully um, in, a, in a safe way. Yeah. So I guess I have kind of, uh, two last questions for you. Um, the first one is, you know, what kind of advice would you give to young aspiring Bitcoin engineers, right? Like, you know, you've jumped in very recently, you're kind of getting your hands dirty, you obviously understand the magnitude of what you're building. And I think that Bitcoiners will be at peace to know how seriously you're taking um, every little detail, really. But like, like, these young aspiring Bitcoin devs, you know, kind of like doing other projects, uh, maybe looking at Bitcoin, uh, what would you say to them? So my advice to people would be to nail down exactly what you care about and look for projects that address the problems that you care about rather than ones that, you know, you might, it might be easier to get a job in or you might earn more money in or that your peers are um, considering like more impressive or whatever. Like that's why I didn't go for like Google or Facebook or something. Um, because I've seen a lot of college kids, especially because you asked specifically about like young developers who get into blockchain and then they're like, oh my God, there's so much FOMO and there's like 500 new DeFi projects. And I need to learn about all of them. And exploration is great. But you ask them like, why do you feel the need to learn all these things? They're like, oh, because like everyone, like I feel stupid if I don't know the names of like every single token out there. Um, and like, but I thought you cared about like financial inclusion, right? And, and that's like, there are DeFi projects that are specifically towards financial inclusion, but then you're out here, like, you know, just trying to like, please VCs and whatnot. Right. Um, and then another thing is like, I really care about, or like, I have a more like open source development kind of mentality and sometimes it's like they're really focused on like how do we extract rent as soon as possible or like how do we you know have a pre-mine or like how do we have a profit model which is the bottom line for a lot of silicon valley like vcs and projects um so when i decided i was like okay i care about a project that is censorship resistant i care about um sound money i care about like no one can mint coins. And I think that is a feature, not a bug. So when I look at projects where they're like, oh, like we can mint coins or like, you know, where it doesn't align with me, I'm like, okay, I'm not interested in that. And that's because I decided what my value system is. And then I went for projects like that. So that would be my advice is like, think about the problems you want to solve and then look to build solutions to those problems, not going for your resume or like what's hot shit or like, what is going to impress guys or girls. <laughs> um, and then I guess my second thing is um, I'm really lucky to have met the right people. Like I have some really nice mentors um, who are really good at recognizing what I need help in. So like Amidi, for example, uh, Amidi is also a Bitcoin core dev. She, I met her through Jonas at Code. She's very good at like, she she's really good at recognizing like what I need help in. So for example, I'm like really fucking shy. Um, and then she's like, okay, I can introduce you to people who can like help make your confidence better or like help you solve problems that 
uh, technical problems that like I don't personally have expertise in, for example. Um, and so like recognizing your own weaknesses, accepting help from people and like, I mean, you don't need a mentor to succeed, of course, but um, it's been really helpful for me to like find people that I trust and who are interested in helping me succeed. So it's like John, Jonas, and me for me. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think like the the support system is absolutely necessary, right? Um, but at the same time, like, you know, being able to kind of recognize, you know, and understand yourself, that's so important, but it's so hard. Like, you know, your advice at the beginning, it's like, yeah, you know, pretty much ignore everything that the fiat system incentivizes and, mm-hmm. and you know, embrace what's in your heart. Um, you know, that's, you know, simple, but not easy whatsoever. Um, but that's the reason why I'm like optimistic about Bitcoin, because like Bitcoin is a path to doing that. And it's a path to just kind of ignoring the, the other noise that everyone else is kind of like stuck in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so last question for you, Gloria, and then we can wrap this up. And I, I hope we have enough time for it. But you know, learning the technical side of Bitcoin, learning Bitcoin, you know, what was like the most profound lesson or thing that you kind of experienced? The biggest thing is just, again, how easy it is to fuck up Bitcoin. Like in Bitcoin, we don't trust that, you know, everyone on the network is going to be a good guy. (laughs) That's like a huge part of Bitcoin is always having the security mindset. And also like what even is consensus oh my god this this is like (laughs) this scares me a lot because i mean it's also in the realm of like there are so many subtle bugs i mean um like i was when i was doing mempool validation right you're like okay that's not even consensus validation um but for example in mempool like first of all we do apply the consensus rules but at the end we also will cache like signature checks and script checks um, which are like not consensus specific and so that we can use them later because everything that comes into your mempool, you expect to see in a block later. Right. Um, and because signature checking and script checking is the most expensive part of validation, we'll cache those results so that the successful results so that we can use them again later to have better block validation performance, which is very, very key. Um, but if you have a consensus bug in your mempool validation code and you cache that, then you fuck up your um, consensus validation. And then, uh, like, I think the best example is also, like, from version 0.8, uh, when they switched uh, databases, and then, like, the number of mutexes that could be allocated by this type of database meant that they couldn't validate, like, a certain block, and then there was a hard fork, right? And it's like, what even is consensus? You know, like, you switch out, like, a database dependency, and you have a hard fork, like, nothing is safe, you know? Um, and so uh, there's there's a certain degree of like clo- code cleanliness that is really, really important because you can have subtle consensus bugs buried somewhere in your dependency. <laughs> um, so uh, like like Carl Carl Dong, for example, is working on like trying to separate out a consensus library so that we can isolate like as much as possible what is consensus and what isn't. But I guess like my main theme 
is like there are so many things that can go wrong <laughs> in Bitcoin and it terrifies me. And because we don't <laughs> we don't like have any fail safes, um, it, it's really important that we don't make mistakes. <laughs> That's the biggest thing that I've learned looking at Bitcoin on a more technical level. The most profound thing is is that this thing, you know, Bitcoiners like to tout Bitcoin is so anti-fragile. And you're like, holy shit, this thing is so damn fragile. I, you know, at least it is from what really saying. fragile. Yeah, yeah. Um, so don't trust verify. Uh, everyone should be reviewing PRs. Um, like if you are someone who is technical, you know something. <laughs> yeah, no, but okay. Also, this is another thing. This is what I should have said in like the advice to young people is like I didn't think I was gonna be a software engineer because I didn't think I was smart enough to be. Like, it like technical really just means domain specific. Like I just like I a year ago I had never seen the Bitcoin core code base before, right? And then like obviously I like spent a lot. Of, I, I've spent like a really long time looking at it but it's like it's weird because like a year ago i was not considered that technical of a person and then now people will be like oh like i don't understand what you're saying gloria <laughs> you're like saying all these technical things i'm like no, no no i'm just like very specific in like this area of validation.cpp you know in like the bitcoin core code base but it's like everyone has some sort of expertise like i didn't learn economics at all so i don't know how to talk about bitcoin from like a monetary standpoint and so like when people are able to offer about uh, offer an opinion on that i respect that and then there's people who know a lot about linux or like they are very well versed in like windows systems administration and there aren't very many core devs that, you, that develop in a Windows environment. So like that is a very helpful thing that someone with domain specific expertise can contribute to the Bitcoin core code base. Um, or like, I don't know, just like running tests. Like, like I said, like just having a different platform on which you run code is helpful. So like if there's like a release coming out, like, if you have like a specific hardware or software that you can run Bitcoin Core on and test, like run all the tests and like run a node on, like that's really helpful. Um, there's no like, everyone should help Bitcoin. <laughs> everyone can contribute to Bitcoin Core and Bitcoin in general. Um, and like everyone should. Also please review code because if there's a bug and Bitcoin fails, we're all going to lose so much money. <laughs> all right. I think that this is the best place to kind of close it out. Uh, Gloria, <laughs> where can people learn more about you? Where can people find you? I'm on Twitter at Gozow, G-L-O-Z-O-W. Um, yeah, it's probably the best place. I'm also on Keybase, Gloria Zhao. <laughs> or GitHub. Or GitHub. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You can that's where you really at. contributions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, also my work-life balance, like, you know how you'll like show your GitHub contribution graph to like brag. I like to brag how there's like nothing on Sundays ever since I started working at Brink. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> but yeah, yeah bragging about only working Twitter. six days a week. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Well, I can guarantee that my uh, my contributions uh, to whatever project I'm working on definitely don't exist on the weekends. I, I try to turn off as much as possible. Um, yeah. Gloria, thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed this conversation, and you know, I, I learned a little bit more about the Bit- the Bitcoin code base that I didn't know before. Um, you know, I. In general, like, you know, I hope to hear you on more podcasts because you killed it. Like, you know, you're just bringing the fire and, and, and I loved your, your your energy. So I'm so glad that you're working on the Bitcoin code base. And I hope that you can, uh, you know, attract more people to do so as well. Thank you so much for having me. I really had a good time, too. <laughs> awesome. To all the Bitcoiners listening, make sure to follow Gloria. Make sure to do what you can to support the Bitcoin code base and validate as much as you can. And uh, yeah, make sure to follow Bitcoin Magazine at Bitcoin Magazine. Make sure to find us on your podcast app, the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. Give us those five-star reviews. You know the drill. Peace. A quick reminder that all of the content in this episode is for informational and entertainment purposes only. You should not construe the information as legal, tax, investment, financial, or any other advice. Nothing contained in this presentation constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, or offer by BTC Media, the Let's Talk Bitcoin Podcast Network, or any third-party service provider to buy or sell securities or any other financial instruments. Do your own research.